Hey, it's Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice, and you're about to listen to an audio version of an interview I've done on my streamcast on Twitch. Now, if you'd like to see the video along with it, you can find it in the links below, or you can just go to my YouTube channel, Chris Edgerly, a.k.a. The Edge Voice. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, you guys can just sit here and, and stare at Chantel for a second while oh, yeah, I... Uh, yeah, yeah, Chant- <laughs> that, that's not com- That's not uncomfortable at all. I'm no! Well, you know, usually actresses aren't used to having people stare at them, so I thought that uh, that would be a little bit weird for you, but um, yeah. Yeah, now you just made it out of L.A. traffic, so already, tip of the cap to you, um, yes. we we know that that is not easy, okay? I made my way back over the monstrosity of a hill. And yeah. Did you take, you didn't take Benedict Canyon, did you? I t- yeah, I think so. One of the canyons, Laurel... Coldwater, Benedict, Beverly. This is like an episode of the Californians on SNL. It's like, you have to take the 405 to the 101 to the 134. You can't take it then. It's 5 o'clock. It's going to be jammed. But it's only funny to us. Like anybody else, if my parents watch it in Texas or Minnesota, they're like, um, okay. You're like, you don't understand. Chantel is here. She's got a heart out at 5, okay? So we got 51 minutes and then she's got a, she's got a jet. All right. She's uh, she's got stuff to do. You know, who'd have thought? But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I actually, have, I actually have one of my best friends, five year olds birthday parties. Really? To me, to me is really important um, <laughs> to some people. Maybe they would be like, who cares? But um, we're taking her to a hockey game tonight. Uh-huh. And she thinks that this is the cutest thing in the world. She thinks that the hockey puck is a lump of Santa's coal that the boys are fighting over on the ice. Oh, really? She loves. <laughs> now, does that explain, that explains all the fighting to her then? It's like they really want because that coal? For some reason, they're fighting over Santa's lump of coal. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair She's enough. very imaginative. Yeah. Now, that's right. You're from Minnesota, so hockey's yeah. just, it's another thing, right? It is. I mean, it's not just another thing. It's, it's basically a way of life. My Christmas presents this year were... I received five sweatshirts. All of them were my nieces and nephews' numbers and teams, like different hockey teams that they're in for the school, okay. special teams. It's a whole ordeal. I know the Gophers are always big there with hockey. They're always in the mix, right, for the national championship? Yeah, that's a big deal. I told you I went to Minnesota once to play Knuckleheads Comedy Club in 1998 inside the Mall of America, and it was 30 below. And my opening line every night to the audience was, you know, you people don't have to live here. All right. <laughs> There's a lot of other places to go. And they they loved it because to them it was a badge of honor that they could yeah. take it. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, when my family doesn't even complain about winters any anymore, to be honest. I mean, I grew up on a dairy farm. Okay. And negative 30 was normal to be milking cows in, to be doing chores in. And you would just... man stewed up in layers and layers, but then you know, your hands aren't covered when you're milking cows. So you'd put no. your hands inside of the cow's udder and you'd warm up your hands. Good times. The cow's udder, even. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you grow up on a farm. I mean, this is pretty much, this is um, almost Frank Capra-esque. You come from a Minnesota farm and now you're on stage and screen. Does it does it sound a little too on the nose for you that you actually got away with doing that? Like, I can't believe it. No, I mean, it's, it's crazy because I still feel 
as though my story is is unique in a sense where I didn't grow up dreaming of this job, you know, because really? I grew up, no, I, I grew up on a farm with practical jobs and parents mm-hmm. who were entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my parents first when I was young mm-hmm. and my mom and my stepdad owned Subway restaurants oh, really? and my, my father and my stepmom ran a farm. Mm-hmm. So I was never exposed. We didn't have a TV at the farmhouse. I think mm-hmm. maybe my parents took in their room, mm-hmm. but we were always outside. We were imagining we had forts. We, I don't know. It, it just, it wasn't on my radar or understanding that it was a career choice, especially right. not even in college. It just didn't, it was just a hobby, right? You know, something that I did that I enjoyed while I was going to college uh-huh. and, I feel as though I still wake up and I think, how in the fuck is this my job? <laughs> what? Like, yep. this is kind of nuts that I I really love what I do. And, you know, to people who aren't in, in the industry, they think it's crazy and amazing. And, you know, they see the end product. But, you know, what goes into it is a lot of hard work and a lot of rejection and uh-huh. a lot of no's. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of picking yourself up by your bootstraps and still believing that, you know, the job will come, the next one will come. And yeah, yeah, we were my wife and I were talking about this today. Uh, My son is eight and he's a voice actor, too. Because from the cradle, I would take him into the office with me when I would audition there and I'd let him uh, sit in my arms as I would read sometimes. And then we have a mic set up at home. And he wanted to get into it. He always wanted to do it. And I thought, this is exactly the opposite of my upbringing because I was raised in the Deep South. I'm the only person in my family that's in show business that had any aspirations of show business. And my children, on the other hand, are growing up with as much of an in as I can possibly give them. But my son had a job yesterday and I was there with them to make sure that I said, look, I know you're only eight. But they're paying you. So you have to be a professional. And I'm already telling him, you have to go through so much uh, hearing the word no. It's navigating the no's, truly. And, and, you know, my my parents don't do this either, obviously. And my mom used to be like, I I don't know how you do it. You'll go on 37 interviews, job interviews, and you'll hear no. Like in, in, in the real world... Yeah. People would give up after eight. Yeah. You know, and for us, it's a numbers game and it's navigating those and it's getting other jobs in between that keep you afloat and yeah. just being grateful when you get the jobs that you're doing what you love. Yeah. It's it's expectations too. Your your expectations are, I, I know I'm, I could hit it out of the park and they may choose somebody who's an inch taller. You know, because they're just looking for something and you're it or you're not it. Now, you might change their calculus by the way you conduct yourself in the in the interview, but it's an audition. And yeah, yeah you might be able to turn it around. But um, I mean, I, have you ever had a situation where you thought there's no way I'm getting this? And they tell you later, oh, you were exactly what we wanted. So many times. I mean, the the job I have right now, I'm, I'm shooting a show for Apple TV called For All Mankind. And okay. we're doing season two right now. Season one, I I was coming off of a show that I had been doing for three years called Shooter. 
Okay. And it was my first uh, audition back, like in the world of, of acting. Uh-huh. And I was, I'm not going to lie, I have massive real anxiety. Okay. And uh, the night before they sent me the audition, and there was a three page monologue. I said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go in on my first audition back into the world and F this up. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to do it for a huge casting director job. So I'll put it on tape the next morning. Uh So I put it on tape, felt really solid about the tape. They called, they said, we want you to come in and meet with the director and executive producers. Mm -hmm. I was like, ugh. Fine. <laughs> so I, you know, am pitting out the dress I'm wearing and like a nervous mess and comparing myself to every girl in the room and talking myself way down and just all the wonderful things I do. Catastrophizing. Yeah. And I went into the room and um, it was, let's just say it was disastrous because it's a drama, but right. I was told to play it like a comedy and handed a cup of highlighters to do something with. For the audition, and um, I have no fucking idea. What, like, what? I thought you guys liked the tape. That's what I should be doing. Right. And um, yeah, I left, and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I, right. I can't. I feel so jarred that I had this idea. I did this great tape. I believed in, and I went in, and just put me on my head. Like, I, I don't. I just don't feel like I know what I'm doing anymore. Right. So. I went to the Natural History Museum because I love science and I'm a total weirdo and it's my happy place. And hilarious, and this is true life story, I was standing underneath um, the shuttle, space shuttle, okay. that, that, that resides in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and I got a phone call from my manager who said, I'm never going to fucking believe anything you say ever again. And I was like, <laughs> sorry, excuse me? And he's like... Yeah, you said you had a bad audition. You literally are being offered the job one hour after walking out of that room. And I was like, how? <laughs> how? How is that? Like, if they want to hire that girl, she's not a good actress. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I still, you know, some days there's so many jobs that I just thought I bombed it. I didn't even know. I couldn't remember the lines or, and I leave and they're like, you know, may not have been the greatest audition, but we saw something or we felt like you were right for the part or I don't know, maybe I just got lucky. Hey, you know what? Every time it's like in sports when somebody says we got bad calls, like, you know what? Over the course of a season, all the calls even out. All right. Sometimes look, I just got a booking today, you know, knock on wood. I'm always happy when I get a booking. My, uh, my agent emails me and says, you're going to do this. And I said, okay, great. And then my next sentence was, I don't know how I got that thing. I didn't even think I was in the ballpark. It was a voice match. And, I, and I'm and i a pretty good mimic. It's it's A lot of what I do is mimicry. And I said, there's no way I'm getting this. There's just no way I'm getting this. And I get the email. Yeah, they're just checking your avails. Yeah, you got it. I'm, I'm not just saying this because we're, we're supposed to be talking about Apex, but I could say that because I've, I've maybe done... 40 auditions in voiceover and it was okay. just something that was like I don't know let's do it Sounds yeah fun. yeah know, I'll, me and my sister do funny silly stupid voices and I don't know whatever yeah um and I remember you know you'll send in stuff I never you won't even hear a peep whatever okay yeah no yeah yeah you just don't hear and I remember they were like oh they want 
you to, I sit in my shoe closet and I like record my, <laughs> my I don't have a big fancy studio. You don't need one. And you don't I, need um, one. I recorded it and sent it in and, um, you know, they said they want you to go in and hilariously I was bright blonde at the time and I wore like light pink and, you know, I walk into this audition and they show me a picture of, you know, the mock-up for Wraith and I was like, yeah. Oh my God. Like I like in my mind because I'm used to acting. I'm like I look nothing like this girl, and I'm like it's voice acting. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, I, I, I never yeah. in a million years would have thought, and I, I still commend them for sticking with me because there's times I don't know what I'm doing, and there's times they ask me to do stuff, and I'm like, I don't know. Let's try it. I don't know what I'm doing, but let's fail and figure it out. Well. Remember, I'm a robot. So they show me pictures and I think, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But I, voiceover is what I do. And by the way, booking one thing after 40 auditions is pretty good in voiceover. I, I, I don't even get 1% of what I read for, but I read for a lot. I mean, I would say April was coming up on 20 years for me of doing it in L.A. And um, yeah, I would say easily 10, 15,000 auditions over that time. And uh, it's just, it's a, it is numbers. Oh, I wanted to bring this up before I forgot. Cosmic coincidence, I think. But, all right. Okay. My character is Pathfinder. You, uh, your co-star, one of your co-stars in The Boys is Carl Urban, correct? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. You were also a guest on the uh, Craig Ferguson talk show, yes. correct? Okay. I have voice matched both of those actors. Cra no way. Yes, Craig Ferguson for a cartoon based on How to Train Your Dragon. I was a no. I was Gober because Craig didn't have the time to do it, right? So I was Gober. Hey. And Carl Urban, I voice matched for a movie he did called Pathfinder. So how funny and full circle is that? Yes, yeah, somehow uh, inexplicable forces have drawn you to my nice little yes. modest streamcast. So. <laughs> If you need me to talk like Craig to make you feel a bit more at home. Wait, you want to talk about nerve wracking? That must have been. Out there, my manager said, do not say fuck and do not talk about penis. And literally, if you watch the interview, the first two minutes were cut out because Craig made a comment on my feet. And right. And I was like, um, yeah, no, definitely I don't want a shot of my feet. I, have, I wear size 11. I have huge feet. And he's like, you know what that means? I was like, I have a big penis. Yeah. Why? Because I was nervous, and now I've said that, and then I literally turned and was like, "Fuck, I wasn't supposed to." Oh my god! And it was like, "It's okay, they'll just take it out, and that that part won't air." Let's try that again. <laughs> like, hey, I watched. Yeah, I watched that interview to get a sense of like who you were, and as I'm watching this, because remember, I spent 20 years as a stand-up comic too. Yeah. I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, why didn't they make a joke about it having a big penis? It's right there for them. Oh no, I did. And now I realize, okay. You know what? You're, uh, my estimation of you has just doubled, okay? Like, I knew you were funny from talking to you. Now I think you're twice as funny. So, Great. I mean, good for you. I felt like, for some reason, I mean, the easiest jokes in the world are penis and poop jokes. Of course and they everybody are. Everybody can relate. And for, that, that was why my manager said to me, because he knows me and has known me since I was 20 years old. Okay. He's like, don't do it. You drop the F-bomb too much, and you always go for penis and poop jokes, so just don't do it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, I won't, for sure not. And then instantly I'm nervous, and that's the only thing my brain can think about. 
that he seems like a very disarming guy though that he would put you at ease that that yeah. you know he leans back in his chair and he's very scottish that way he doesn't put on the air so you know i loved it i thought it was a great interview speaking of which um when you uh when you did the wraith audition was it just one audition or was it a callback or was it like you read once and then they said, okay, it's yours? So I, I, I sent in one from my phone that okay. my agent sent, sent in. I went and met them in person okay. and read, I think like 10 more lines. Okay, yeah, so it was a callback. And I left and yeah. then she emailed me and was like, you got it. And I was Great. Like, okay, what did I get? What is this? What am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, and my favorite story to tell and this is just going to you know ultimately i'm sure come back and bite me but like uh, doing the character stuff in Wraith's voice is so great and so easy and i can lock in it's the shouting cues and commands and pings and stuff that that i start to say words and i'm like is this even a word what is this i've said it so many times is this, what are words how do letters make words and you're like, that is a that is a very common phenomenon. I've I've done a lot of video games. I don't do as many as I used to because they're blood throats. You end up dying a lot and screaming. And I said I don't yeah. I can't keep doing that. But there are sometimes you'll get a page and you'll see a hundred lines, and they're the most mundane, tedious lines possible because they have to be. And after you say them a few times, you're just realizing I'm just throwing syllables together at this point. Yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. And I start to get like this existential like. Who came up with words? What are words? Yeah. What is the sound? Oh yeah. So, so Eric, Eric, um, I remember when we went through like all the efforts. So like right. the punching, the kicking, the, and I'm I'm a pretty active girl, so I most of it I understood, and I you know died before on screen, so right. I make sounds, and obviously they're quite exaggerated. <clears throat> but the one thing was they asked me, so we want to do one where like you get electrocuted and then you like die, and I was like. Oh, cool. <laughs> So in my head, I'm like thinking about it for a second. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. What was in my head and what came out of my mouth were two very different things. So they're like, okay, go ahead. And in my head, it was like this great electrocution. What came out of my mouth sounded like Beavis and Butthead. And I went, uh, uh, <laughs> they were like, they turned on the microphone and everybody in the other room was bursting out. Of course. Like, am I fired? Because that was the worst thing I've ever done. No, we're going to use that for the Shetland pony death we have coming up later. It's worked out great. <laughs> it was so, I mean, in those moments, I couldn't love them more for being patient and yeah. allowing me to fail and fall flat on my face. And I'm like, what was it? What was in here? What came I don't know. Bear with me. Let's do this again. Oh, yeah. Well, it's also slightly different for you because you have, I mean, you've spent most of your career doing on camera mm -hmm. and you are aware of your body in a different way because you know that, all right, they're capturing this angle. The lighting is like this. It's mic'd this way, but I'll probably end up ADRing it. And so you, all these things come into a performance. Mainly what voice actors do and what you're doing is you've got this mic. That's it. All you have to do is not shuffle your feet or ruffle your clothing. They're going to take care of everything else. And you yeah. just have to worry about how it comes out. And the more you do it, the more what's in here will come out here. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll be. It, that it was just, like my yeah. second session. And I ah. just thought, oh my God, I'm going to be fired up. <laughs> no, no, no. No, they're, I mean, they couldn't be more amazing. Yeah. And for me, the way that 
like I have to visualize it. So I make them mm -hmm. because I've never played the game. Sorry, guys. Um, You've never even seen it played. You've never even seen it played, right? I seen, well, I take that back. I've seen it online because okay. I wanted to understand some of the things. Right. And I get really overwhelmed because I did not realize how complicated it was. Like, I played Mario Kart and, like, Plants vs. Zombies. Okay. And then I go, and I was like, what is this game? Um, so I, I make them describe stuff to me so that, for me, if I can visualize things, like, you know, I'll say... I'm trying to think of ones that I'm allowed to say. Um, but like if something is incoming, I have yeah. to visually think of where I am in the, in the game. So it helped me to kind of watch other people playing it so I can see the world, you know, or, you know, sn sniper spotted us. I have to mm -hmm. think of like where I would kind of be that person. Or if I'm yelling, I have to think mm -hmm. of where my squad is or who I'm talking to. So for me, it's, it's highly visual. Uh -huh. So the more I think that I see it and understand it, the better I'll <laughs> well, you know, here's what's funny. I, they're, speaking very broadly, when it comes to on-camera acting and stage acting, there's essentially two schools of thought, which is you pretend. It's a little more superficial. You just play pretend or you really convince yourself you're in that situation. You put yourself through the emotional process of it. Both, to me, are equally valid because it's about whether or not it's a believable performance. Yeah. What you just described is you're organically trying to place yourself in that situation. I do almost none of that. For me, it, I, I become this little kid. Oh, if there's a bomb coming to my head, there's a bomb coming to my head. I just do whatever I need to do. Mechanically, it works. When I do something that is a bit more emotionally involved, yes. Like I did some, for a Respawn game, I did some performance capture a couple of weeks ago and there was crying, you know, there had to be a scene where it happened and i we're actors. The emotions are always right here. Yep, it was not hard to let them out, but it's, it's just whatever is required. So whatever you're doing, because I was going to compliment you, I really like your performance in this game and not just the really heavy stuff, the mundane stuff you're doing. I thought she really did that line well. Just something very simple. I thought... That's a very good natural read. I really like that. So whatever it is you're doing, keep doing it. In on camera, um, I think I've lived a, a lot of life. And so there's um, a certain depth that I can't hide. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is with Wraith, everything is hidden and locked away. Right. And, um, even even the other day, I was in there and we were doing stuff for season four and there was this line and I said to them, she would never say that. She would never want anybody to know that. Oh, really? And they were like, you're right, let's take it out. And I was like, it's just like, never, That that's, that's you know, a tiny thorn in her side, a bit of a weakness she wouldn't want to show unless we're going that way. Uh -huh. But, you know, the wraith I know is... You know, everything's extremely monotone, tough, mm -hmm. covered up. And it was interesting to do, like, her origin story and to get to voice, you know, the tough Wraith and uh -huh. then the Wraith before she went through everything and think about the differences in voices and the pitch tones and just, you know, a, a conveying emotion in a different Wraith versus the Wraith that locks everything away. And, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting for me because coming from, you know, film and, and TV to think about it, 
that way. But the same thing, I had to visualize it. I was like, you have to show me because I have to be able to understand so that I can do my job. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is the interesting thing about Rafe is obviously this is a character that has uh, gone through quite a bit of trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so they chose me. <laughs> <laughs> well, just kidding. I have none, of course. That's of why I'm an course. That's why we, yeah, we never like to open ourselves up to people in that way. But that's the thing is that I, I understand when somebody tells me they've gone through anxiety. Uh, I certainly know what that's like. I myself have no problem letting it out in the service of a character because I've found that I can bottle it back up or, or not even bottle it. I know how to manage that energy. But I went through, because uh, we were talking about this, I didn't get a chance to share it, but about 15 years ago, I did cognitive behavioral therapy. Worked very well for me. That's, that's, that was what I did. My uncle's a psychologist. He said, I recommend this for you because you're having issues with anxiety. And I was in it for about four years. Generally, you don't do it for that long, but mine was sort of a systems overhaul. And yeah. so, and the last couple of years, I was mainly checking in once a month, but yeah. it taught me a skill set. And, um, you know, I work on it every day, but a lot of what you have revealed in an interview that I brought up was that mm-hmm. your anxiety, uh, things like that, that bother you, you found that mindfulness being in the present moment, being gracious, being in a state of gratitude always helps. These are the exact things that I practice every morning when I start my day to be able to manage wherever that crazy mental energy, I hesitate to use the word crazy, I mean frenetic mental energy. Oh, it feels that way. Yeah. It feels that way, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to harness it, but that skill set, and I didn't realize later that I had honed some of that through performing and acting. Taking that energy and bottling it, uh, or just rather bottlenecking it towards one focus, one purpose. I was able to take some of that, repurpose it, and use it in my daily life. And uh, having two kids, you use that. Uh, you better manage those emotions. <laughs> yes, very much so. But I, I was wondering then, with your experiences with anxiety, um, how do you channel that? How do you channel that energy? And then how do you give yourself access to it if you're going to authentically portray a character like Wraith or anyone you play on screen? Yeah. Like, your character in The Boys has obviously gone through quite a bit, and I can't wait for season two to find out. Yes. Okay. So back to your answer. I'm sorry I cut you off. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's an interesting process, uh, self discovery, uh-huh. and I've been in therapy for uh, almost 14 years. Okay. And um, I had like a complete and utter mental breakdown, and mm-hmm. uh, couldn't see my way through. Mm-hmm. And I have amazing friends who are in therapy, and mm-hmm. God suggested a therapist, and mm-hmm. she's always been my therapist. We work a lot um, with PTSD from okay. extremely traumatic mm-hmm. events that started when I was five years old, and uh-huh. uh, and through life, and um, you know. And, it's, it was so hard for me when I did that interview because they would ask me questions and I found myself, I got really lucky because I got to type the interview out. Yeah. I found myself starting to write something honest and then stopping and being like, I can't say this. I need to like, like one of the questions like, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? I, I'm like, go pee and feed my animals. And then I was like, well, I can't say that. Like, I have to be like, oh, I... I meditate and I, and I'm like, yeah. Oh my gosh, the times I actually 
get to do that and start my day by saying 10 things I'm grateful for or meditating is like three times a month. Would mm -hmm. I like it to be more? Am I working on it? Yes. Mm -hmm. But what's my truth? And even if my truth, and then I find myself judging my answer and being like, oh, I'm not funny or I'm not interesting. And I'm like, yeah, but that's, that's not my purpose. My purpose is just to be as real be and truthful and mundane or boring or whatever anybody else feels mm -hmm. as I truly am. Mm -hmm. And um, the truth is I would love to be more healed and whole and, um, you know, pause and try to find gratitude in moments when things are really hard. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Right. And sometimes I spiral so far out of control, you know, and then sometimes I give myself a huge fucking pat on the back because yeah. I did some massive self-talk and mm -hmm. the next time I could not do it. And that's, you know, I always think that's, that's the evolution and it. The evolution starts with awareness uh -huh. and the desire to want to heal. And, um, I always think because some people will judge and be like, Oh my gosh, you've been in therapy for so long. Like, aren't you like better now? And you're like, this isn't, this isn't the flu, <laughs> right? You know, this is like healing ways that my my mind and my body learn to survive based mm -hmm. on horrific myriad of traumatic experiences, mm -hmm. and it's unlearning and relearning and rewiring. And mm -hmm. to be honest, this job requires me to bring it up, uh -huh. and teach it, and it's funny. It's really easy for me to always access it. The truth of the matter is, is sometimes I lose myself in in the pain because I found the struggle is, okay, there's going to be a death and you have to go through it, let's say. Okay, I'm going to go through the emotions and feel it. And I'm feeling it and we're reporting it and cut. Uh -huh. Oh, <laughs> Oh, let's go get a brownie from Crafty. Yeah. Like, I have to now stop what I'm feeling and shove it down because I need to hold on to it to either use it in another take or right. we're done with that setup. We're moving on to another scene and now you're baking a birthday cake. And you're like, okay. And I yeah. get in my car and I think, oh my God, I can't cry anymore. Uh -huh. And then I just lose it because I realize I never got to finish that emotion. I just had to cut it off. And... I allow myself the space to process, mm -hmm. you know, in usually in the safety bubble of my car, which I'm sure people around me are like, that girl over there bawling in her car. It's LA. They don't think anything about that. You know, the conversations I have with myself in my car, thanks to people thinking I'm just on the phone. Yeah. Oh, that guy's in a conference call. No, I'm just hearing the sound of my own voice. <laughs> um, but it is true. And, and I think everything I went through in, my life has serviced my work, but I would say it doesn't always service healing. And sometimes my therapist will be like, Jesus, can you do a comedy? And I'm like, I don't know if that'll be any better because supposedly comedy comes, comes from, from pain. A lot of pain. I'm sure I'd be good at it, but like, then I just have to cover it and I can't feel it. And you know, like, well, okay. my, my, uh, the therapist I used, he's, he's passed away since, uh, may he rest in peace, but he used yeah. to tell me he drilled this stuff into my head. The purpose of cognitive behavioral therapy is almost, you're like a soldier. I'm giving you the skill set so you can use it on yourself later. So you don't come back. 
But I remember all this stuff. I remember I told you I, I took Krav Maga for a little bit. They just beat the shit out of you and base it on human reflexes. And after a while, you just internalize this stuff and you react. And a lot of what I do is I practice what he taught me. One of the things he taught me is that he said, by the way, the stuff I'm teaching you, he said, the stuff I'm teaching you, you're never going to get it right 100% of the time. If you can do this stuff 75% of the time, you are going to have a great life full of things you didn't want, full of things that went wrong, full of times where you messed up. But I am teaching you this skill set so that you can say, okay, did that wrong? Learn the lesson, separate the lesson from the experience, move on. And as far as congratulating yourself, I have probably made people feel a little weird because sometimes I will literally pat myself on the back when I, it occurs to me, I did that really well. You know what? Good for you. Yeah. I, I, I think you have to do that. That is how self-esteem arises from yourself, that you, you have to get the gratification from you. You're the authority on how you yeah. feel. And so it sounds to me like whatever you've been doing you are one person 14 years ago. The person you are now must be a damn sight different. A person who's grown I mean, quite I, a bit. I would like to think that I've gained um, a massive amount of awareness and understanding. And my, my other biggest thing, and I talked about this in the interview, was understanding how freeing forgiveness is and that uh. I don't have to take ownership of the pain and uh-huh. that it's, it can be there, but I don't, I don't have to feel like that doesn't have to define that experience because uh-huh. usually it's, it's not something I've brought upon myself or caused that I'm, I'm kind of working through. And right. you know, if, if I don't forgive and I don't free myself, then the same pattern I'm just going to accept or expect. Uh-huh. And you know, it's, it's such a tricky thing. And I'm so open when I meet people and I talk to people Uh because to be honest, we all have the same feelings, maybe not the Mm -hmm. same experiences, but the same struggles, the same feelings. And yet we all walk around feeling so fucking alone because we don't share, because we don't talk, because we're taught to, you know, suck it up and survive. And, what What was that? You said you were yeah. feeling alone? Or I that. I don't, I don't, I, I really got to take this chunk out. Mate. <laughs> no. Exactly. But if, if you just stop and, and somebody's being shitty to you and you're like, I bet they're having a rough day or like maybe something's going on with them and we don't internalize everything or, you know, it, it's amazing how little it takes to be empathetic and realize that we're all there's this amazing thing I love and it says we're all just walking each other home because oh, at the end yeah. of the day we are all going through it constantly and everybody around you must feel pretty damn similar in this life. It's funny, my wife and I were literally talking about the same topic this morning. We have yeah. my wife and I have many dates when the kids are not around. Hey, it's a mini date. And we, yeah, exactly. We talk all the time about everything. And we said, one thing my uh, wise friend is what I like to call my therapist, again, that I used to see. And when you say, you know, my therapist taught me a lot of times people shut down. They think they're going to hear something flaky. So I just say, you know, I have a wise friend who taught me this. He taught me nobody makes their second best choice to feel good. Everyone is always making their best choice to feel good. Sometimes it's just a bad choice 
because they don't know any better. They haven't learned better. They're doing their very best. And sometimes you see somebody that is clearly in turmoil, but they're just being a complete shit to you or somebody else. And it's hard to give yourself a minute and say, okay, I, I see where this is coming from. Yeah. I'm going to try not to judge. Or sometimes we're the shits. You know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. we're the person that's like, yeah. yeah, did you not hear what I wanted to order? You know what I mean? Because we're hangry. Or and then you just realize that we're all human and that would feel really crappy if I if somebody did that to me. So, yeah. you know, there's there's just, again, it's that awareness. Yeah, absolutely. This is where it comes in handy. You play a character that is wounded, that is trying to heal, doing the best they can. Is there any catharsis to doing that? Or is it like you say, you, you simply find a way to manage having released it and then getting yourself to a place where you can finish having the emotion? Um, I think it just depends. Like if, if we're talking about a scene uh-huh. um, versus let's say like seasons of a character, uh-huh. that's a bit harder. Like I can let scenes go pretty well, but for instance, when I'm in the midst of shooting, I live, I live in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were doing the second season of The Boys, it's torture. Okay. Because, because Becca's life is torture. We find out so much, and there's no way to not to not carry it and to live in that space because you're thinking about it. And you know, I feel as though to be like honest the older i get and the more i do this the more i immerse myself and consume myself with jobs uh-huh. and um but I, I i don't always recognize it you know i think i'm managing pretty darn well and then i have you know some weird breakdown i'm like well i'm not okay right well i there must be things you do uh, like i have a my ritual is basically the beginning of the day For me, it's all about the morning because this is how I'm going to start the day. My wife likes to do something at night before she goes to bed because she believes she's going to wake up in that frame of mind. I don't know how I'm going to wake up. I just know that for the next 10 minutes, I have a 10-minute thing I do, 5 to 10 minutes, and that's how I start the day. Whatever happens after that, I've put it in my head. This is how I'm going to handle it. Whatever you're doing for you, it's, it's working. Otherwise, you would have stopped doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think everybody finds their ways of, of processing through the work uh-huh. and um, allowing things to, you know, not, not affect them so negative, negatively. Um, but, I mean, the job, the job requires us to be our most vulnerable and honest and present self. One of the things I have found that when you're in yourself, when you're in your own thoughts for a bit, one good thing to do is to give to others, to get outside of your head to be generous, to sometimes it's just generous with your attention. But you uh, you have um, basically a, a real uh, charitable cause that you like to go to bat for, correct? May I may I bring it up at the yes, risk? Please, okay. Please, it's, always, I always want to talk about it. Yes. My granddad, when he was 88, he was 88. He had a good long life, but he died of lung cancer. He didn't smoke. Yeah. That's, the, you know. It, How long ago was it? This, he died in 1998. And he lived with a smoker for 50 years. And I don't know if they can prove that secondhand smoke does anything. I have no idea. Yes, it does. It does. Okay. Okay. On on top of that, he was born in 1910. So I have a feeling that he was probably around a lot of asbestos, lead paint, who knows. But, you know, look, he's he's lucky. He made it to 88. But you work for a charity or work with a charity, I believe, called Lung Force? Yep. 
Okay. It's a it's a division of uh, the American Lung Association, uh, Lung Association that they started um, a little over five years ago. And my grandmother uh, was a non-smoker. Nobody in our family was a smoker, mm-hmm. and she she basically like helped raise me. She oh, okay. Was, like my second mom, Uh, my mom had me young and divorced young and um, we lived in a small town. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, you're raised by your aunts and your grandparents and family. Mm -hmm. Um, She was a really important human being to me. And um, when she was diagnosed, it, it was such a shock for me, for my whole family, because the association is is what it is still now, which is the stigma of, well, was she a smoker? How did grandma get lung cancer? She never smoked a day in her life. Nobody around her smoked, but that's the only way. And um, we went through the six month battle, uh-huh. and I I was there my the day my grandma had her lung taken out. Mm. I was there the day she started chemo. Mm-hmm. I was there the day we cut all our hair off. Mm. Um, I lived in a hospice with her, um, and it was brutal. It was a really tough road, and to not understand why was the hard, or, or what caused it was the hardest part. And not that I think that it would have somehow healed us, but um, you know, it wasn't until she passed away that I that I found lung force by the grace of what I think is my grandmother, uh-huh. my sister. Mm-hmm. Got a there was a job opening and with the lung force uh, office in Austin mm-hmm. and my whole family learned about it and I started to educate myself. Um, unfortunately, after she she passed with more, more information, and we tested the house and found out that it was radon. The most heartbreaking part is that radon can be mitigated, and had we known, maybe my grandma would still be here. So. Right going throughout the process with her of the end of life allowed for a lot of conversations and she would always just tell me, I just want to, I don't know, inspire people. I just want to help save people's lives. And, um, I think of how many people she saved just by us having conversations and me being able in moments like this to share her story. And it's the only way I can't, truly survive my days without her is feeling like when I have these conversations, I'm doing the work that she would be doing because she was the most selfless human being ever. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think of people that have tested their homes, found radon and mitigated it that I know and that I've spoken to and thinking, Oh, good. Or the people who stopped smoking and went and got a scan or been around secondhand smoke and went and got a scan and just the awareness. That's what ignites it, the education. And it's it's a tough cancer because mm. nobody deserves it. Right. But in our minds, we think, well, lung cancer, people bring it upon themselves. But more and more we find pollution, we find radon, we find chemicals, like all, all of these things are really factors in uh, it's the number one cancer killer in the entire United States more than prostate breast ovarian everybody put together really and, yep I did not know that huh yeah it's uh the facts when I when I learned them felt like 
holy hell, why, why don't, why don't we talk about this more? Like, oh, I'm sorry, radon kills more people a year in the U.S. than guns do. Why don't we talk about this? Like, really? Stop. Forty-two thousand deaths. If we just had people put test kits in their home, like carbon monoxide mm-hmm. detectors that are five dollars, and um, you know, that's that's now my life's work because I those are her initials, by the way, tattooed on me. Yeah, can you can you hold that up so I can see? Okay, yeah, her, yeah. Her okay, is, uh, the story. This is a hilarious. She she was such a goofball. Mm-hmm. Her name is Doris Doima, mm-hmm. and married my grandfather Louis Doima. Mm-hmm. And then they had their kids and named them with uh, the letter D. And they had double D farms. And so um, when I got it, after she passed away, I was with my grandfather and my mom and my sister. And we all got a tattoo. And I showed him and I said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, God didn't give you double Ds, but you got them now. <laughs> I, okay. I see where the humor, I see where your sense of humor is coming from, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is, you know, it's it's never, you know, people will be like, oh, is that for designated driver or is that for daredevil or, you know, a, a myriad of things. And I always laugh because then I get to tell them the truth of it and usually right. they're forward and they get educated and uh, yeah. starts conversations. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm sure you've heard every uh, consoling bromide there is about losing a close family member like that. But from my point of view, they're in your blood. You share their DNA. You share something that's important to them. You actively work for it. And every time you see a step taken forward, maybe that's where you connect with them. Yeah. Once again. You know how many times I'm like, I'm going to delete my social media. And then I think, no, because in the last five years since my grandma's passed, only through social media, I've raised over $125,000 for the American Lung Association. So we're not going to delete it. Right. We'll deal with it and we're going to use it for positivity and spreading awareness and educating and fundraising. And it's going to do some fucking good. <laughs> yeah, that's odd because usually social media is always very calm yeah. and measured and nuanced. And I can't imagine how you could have had a negative experience. Yeah, it's so weird. But never. Okay. Does anybody have questions? Should we have answered questions? Well, they have. I'm sure they have tons of questions, but they got into your story. By the way, they're all sending you hugs. They are sending you massive amounts of hugs. But let's spend a minute on questions. And if you have a minute at the end, we'll do a little Pathfinder okay. Wraith improv. Which I told you would basically just be, be eye rolls. Calling you and rolling her eyes. Pathfinder doesn't mind looking like a buffoon. Neither do I. So we're we're in good shape there. Okay. Would you like to return to The Flash if possible? Uh, Tech Savvy Gamer is a huge fan of your character. Patty Spivet, or Spivet. I call her P-Spivs. Um, okay. I, I would, you know, I, I was so bummed out when I left that show because Grant and I had the best time and we had great chemistry. We had so much fun. Um, I still stay in touch with him and with Danielle, who plays uh. Lord Frost. Um, I don't know. I don't know if like too much time has passed and he's now married on the show and how that would all work. But in, in a dream scenario, I, I just loved the character because I felt like she was as dorky as I was. And I got to be like, I got to use my real laugh and got to like really be a big dork and nerd out on things. So, and also I love graphic novels. So any day. I would nice. Uh, one of my mods, uh, Metal Chick, is her gamer tag. Uh, she is an actress and model herself, and she really looks up to you. 
And hearing your story, she says, is very similar to what happened to her. She would like to know how you got started in that world, uh, modeling and acting and all that. I had an agent in my modeling world that told me, quote, I was um, 10 burgers ahead and 50 shits behind, a.k.a. I could not be a model anymore. And um, <laughs> Good God, that is a truly awful... That is a truly awful. No, no. I I think that I've actually never heard that phrase, and I've, I'm a comic. I've heard it heard it all. I I have family in Texas. I've never heard that. That is a horrible thing to say. But anyway, yeah. maybe we do commercials because you could be just a regular girl then. And I said, okay, sure. Like I'm working three other jobs, putting myself through college. Whatever I can do, sure. And I'd always done theater my entire life. Um, and uh, I started off doing commercials. And this was a very different world, God, 14 years ago, where uh -huh. I was actually being flown out to LA to test for shows. Well, okay. Now, that doesn't happen. Right. And um, I got flown out. And when I didn't get a show, my agent out here, who my Texas agent set me up with, was like, uh, shit or get off the pot, come out for a pilot season. I was like, what's pilot season? He's like, basically it's a trust fall where nobody catches you. Go come out and try it. And I did. And I moved out here with $5,000 and I said, when I run out, I'll go back and go to college. And I haven't gone back to college. So Hey, and five grand in LA is like three days. So you, yeah, uh, you obviously did well. Wanna, don't even, we won't even get into the type of uh, no. living environment that I had. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, uh, Rusty Robot 7 here would like to know, would you do a Wraith Apex movie, hypothetical, and what would the challenges be? I'm guessing, like, you, in your case, you could actually do the on-camera movie. I'd have to do the voice of whatever robot, uh, but... <laughs> yeah. But most likely, I'm betting it would be a uh, an animated movie. But um, I, I guess another way to put it is, are you enjoying your time in the voiceover world? And would you like it to continue with Wraith? Oh, goodness, yes. I love finding out more and more of the backstory and the way that, you know, eventually they're going to connect characters. And I love the story and the character building yeah. part of it. Come here. Um, <laughs> Sorry. For me. Hi, bud. Hi. I, I'm sorry. Here's uh, i I'm no, this is Mini Pathfinder and Mini Wraith here. So you want to say hey, baby, real quick? This is Chantel. Hi, how are you? <laughs> yeah. Help me. All right, guys, she's almost done. I know they are. They are. Okay, I I would like you guys to give me a minute because Chantel is almost done with her interview, okay? Yeah, can you guys can you guys say bye? Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. All right, we'll play in a minute. A thousand pardons, but uh, no, that's yeah. real life. I, I'm surprised my two cats and dog haven't like joined in their outside play. I know you said you told me earlier your cats were assholes, and uh, it's like they're they're kind of behaving themselves. I mean, I love them, but they're hey, your cats are doing the best they can with what they have. Let's they never really, forget that they really are with the nature of what a cat is. They're doing yeah. The best. So I, I'm sorry. So, yeah, you, I would do it in a heartbeat. I think okay. that, you know, anything that involves action and more character development, I would do. Gotcha. What are some of your hobbies and things you do to stay grounded and down to earth? Well, that's so good because I think that that's the most important mm -hmm. part of life. And truly, it's my family and the friends I have around me. Barely anybody is in the industry. And... I feel as though I'm constantly looking for escapes in real life. I do road trips. I love camping. 
I escape and turn my phone off and go into the mountains outside of LA and pitch a tent and make campfires and sing. And I, in on the days I can't do that, I go hiking uh-huh. because for me, nature is big time. Like mm-hmm. I need to, being raised in Minnesota and Texas, I'm used to just being in a little bit of solitude and kind of coming back yeah. to myself as much as I can. Um, and I, I truly think the people I have around me are real and mm-hmm. they're grounded and I, you know, they all have kids that I'm around and real life problems that I can't complain about an audition because you kind of get slapped in the face with the reality of, of life more, yeah. more often than that. Well, I, there's there's a fair amount of glamour you get to enjoy. You get to go to premieres. You get to wear these dresses, these wonderful outfits, and you, you way, hate all I of that. Go, I walk the carpet, and my number one thing I do is anytime I have a red carpet to get me through, I go and eat Shake Shack after. Okay. Always. Always. So I go, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait. Like, literally spend two hours doing hair and makeup and getting dressed. And then I walk the carpet, and I'm like, go to Shake Shack. <laughs> That's the thing that gets me through. <laughs> the, you know what? Now, I, I would wish this for you anyway. I hope one day you win either an Emmy or an Oscar so you can do what Patton Oswalt did. When he won his Emmy, he went to, I think it was either In-N-Out or he went to a burger place, sat there with his Emmy, and just ate this burger right out of the wrapper. You know, right. and just... And honestly, everybody in my life can attest to the fact that I always do it because, to be honest, I hate doing all the hair and makeup and feeling like I'm trying to look so beautiful to take a picture. I'm always going to judge and have not the most positive commentary because that's just not how I am. So I would rather, you know, wear yoga pants and my workout hair bun and not care if people think I'm ugly because I'm not trying to be pretty. I'm just wanting myself. There you go. It's that acceptance. It's a daily thing. You work on it every it day. I'm working on it. You're working on it. We're just, we're working on it. Different. Some days are hard, aren't they? Some some days are easy. I'm thinking, well, I think I got this knocked. I think uh, I don't have to work on myself anymore. I think I'm pretty much perfect. I thought that at 23. I literally remember having a thought at 23. Like, I've learned everything I could learn in life. I've experienced it all. I think I'm good. And now I'll just live. That's what you're supposed to think. Yeah. And I'm like... I'm just kidding. And I'm sure yeah. I'm going to turn 44 and feel the same way looking back. I uh, can tell you at 23, I thought the exact same thing. Everything hit the wall for me at 34. It just right. went, it went tits up, as a friend of mine likes to say. All of my flaws, every flawed piece of thinking hmm. shoved back in my face by my own ruinous expectations, by life, everything. And boom, next thing you know, hey, I'm in cognitive behavioral therapy. Straighten it all out. But it worked. I got an early start on it, at least. At least it won't hit me in the face at 34. I, I am I am telling you right now, it is, a, it is a great way for you to have started because you talked about rewiring. It is so much easier to rewire at 23, to start rewiring, than it is at 34. You're undoing a lot more bullshit. So yeah. get a big jump on me. Yeah. Good for you. You're going to be twice as happy as I am right now. All right. I can't wait. Here you go. This is... Oh, let's... Hey, what's up? Oh, look at any. They meow on cue. Hi, Phil. Is that Phil? This is it's Philippa, but I call her Phil. Phil, okay. <laughs> I think I think Phil's a great name for a cat. Phil's like yeah. a cat with a comb over. You know, it's like she's so grumpy. 
grumpy. She's like, like her meows are like, <laughs> the other one is like cute. Hers are grumpy. She's an asshole, <laughs> but I love her. My cat, the asshole. Okay. There's a, there's okay, I'm going to indulge you. I mean, this makes me a nervous wreck, but let's do it. Well, that's great. Use it. And Pathfinder has gotten stuck inside one of Wraith's portals. Okay. So, so <laughs> you, I can see you mentally putting yourself in Wraith's spot. You don't even have to do anything but roll your eyes if you don't, if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Say Wraith. Um, is it two lefts and a right, or is it a right and two lefts? I can't remember. Why don't you follow the voices in your head? Ooh, that reminds me. Am I one of the voices in your head? Am I? Am I? Am I? Now you will be. Say, Wraith, I found your eyeliner. Or is that Mirage's? It's so hard to tell. I definitely don't wear eyeliner, though. Let's take a second. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, maybe I haven't looked close enough because for a second I'm like, she doesn't wear eyeliner. Are you kidding? She probably does. She's goth. Say rape. I like emo too, but there's a limit. I don't consider myself emotional. I don't have emotions. Neither do I. Except happy. And I'm the opposite. Look at that. You still find a way to be glamorous when you're doing Wraith. You're hitting like these poses. I know. And if it's I'm laughing, which in real life, when I'm in the booth, it's like my hands are on my hips and I'm in like really dark mode. <laughs> oh, I'll bet. My, my, uh, I'm just yeah. I'm laughing myself right now because I'm like, this is, yeah. Oh, it's going to look great. It's going to look great. By the way, uh, she refuses to see the actual, um, the actual Twitch stream because she doesn't care about how she looks. No, so. Yeah, I know. Good for you. I don't want to say. Yeah. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm, I am the hardest person on myself. Nobody could be harder on me than, than I am. Nobody could think more negative thoughts. And while I try to work on that, I also just don't want to be self-aware of what's on the exterior. I try to just be authentic and real. That's all I can do. Well, that's a good thing, Chantel, because you about 10 burgers ahead and 50 shit behind. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, I'm so, I so hesitate sharing that story because that's so awful that somebody said That's a horrible thing to say. I'm like, hey. you know what? That's, that's that world, though. That, that world is a tough world to yes. be in. And I would rather be in a world where I can be a real human being and eat the Shake Shack than oh, in yeah. a world where I'm not eating. Oh, and you realize this about fitness, too, because you're fit. You know, and we we probably watch some of these fitness things on YouTube, and I realize that guy looks great, but I'll bet you he's not healthy. I'll bet you yeah. he's fucking his body up doing that to himself right now, getting all shredded. It's like I'll bet you you're vitamin deficient right now. So yeah, it's it's just that extremes. Like I have to allow myself so much grace when I remember I'm just human. Yeah, I have love handles. It is what it is. And I I love the people who post all of that stuff and don't edit it out. And I don't either. And trust me, everything goes through my head where you're like, oh, everybody's just going to see the imperfections instead of either you being brave or just being yourself. And that to me speaks more volumes. Absolutely. Can I ask you one last thing before I let you go? There is uh, one of our viewers, uh, his name is Alex, and Alex is in Australia, and Alex heads up a group of people called Spartans that game together, but they all are dealing with a lot of mental quirks. A lot of them are anxiety, depression, all of that. I've asked a lot of the Legends actors to basically say, Alex is a much longer thing, but they're not here, but basically, if you could, as Wraith, say, it's okay, Spartans, you got this, and I got your back. I think they would love to hear that. Okay, Spartans, you got this. And I got your back. 
I love that they do that, though, and I love the community. I can't tell you how many people I meet that I didn't know game, like Chad, I'm going to call him out, uh, All right. one of my sound guys on uh, Red, okay. and his brother Josh. They're okay. massive gamers, mm-hmm. and I mentioned something the other day, and they're like, holy shit, that's your voice? Because it's not, you know, the same as my character Karen. Right, literally. right. Um... Karen and Wraith couldn't be any different. Uh, but, you know, it's it's amazing to see the community that it creates. Just like, to be honest, sports or, mm-hmm. you know, anything else. It creates a, a community. And, and I think that as long as it's friendly competition, then I'm so all for it. And yeah. I think that, you know, it allows people to bond and have that sort of friendships that they find and mm-hmm. it's incredible it can yeah. be a really wonderful tool if it's used in a positive way and that's what i was going to say i have uh, found i did i was not aware of this either because i'm not really a gamer i'm doing this for the stream that uh there is a community here and a lot of people are encouraging each other they're very supportive there's a connection i would love if people went outside more i tell them at the end of every stream yeah. go outside get offline Hug somebody with their consent. Yeah. I walk barefoot everywhere, even though I live in LA. Uh-huh. And I always like I will find time to lay in grass. And, yeah. Like, just sit in stillness. This is a very big deal for people. I want you guys to get less screen time, more outside time. Yes. I can't believe I'm I'm a streamer and I'm saying that, but I want you to do that. And so does Chantel, by God. Yes, I do. Okay. And we'll have to do this again. Yes, also, you've got to go. Now that I'm the last person and finding out that you guys hang out all the time and I'm like feeling as though I'm the loser on the outside, I better get invited and everybody has to hold you guys to it. I promise we are going to invite you to our reindeer games. Okay. We'll invite you to karaoke if we ever do that again. I don't uh, think you want to invite me to karaoke, but I'm going to come anyway. They had to sit through my song, so they're going to have to sit through yours by God. All right. Oh, and before we go, how can people find you? Can, how can they find out more about Lung Force and how can they yeah, find out more uh, about you? There's a there's a link and there's also like um oh goodness you can save stories i'm so terrible about this on instagram at the mm-hmm. top how there's like the little circles of stuff you can save there's a lung force one where okay. i've logged information for the last few years um lungforce.org uh also there's a link to my page on my instagram and my twitter where you can read my grandmother's story okay. i'll be doing another um i'm doing like a lung force climb in may okay so i'll be starting to fundraise again soon um so yeah and i have i have a twitter and i have an instagram which is the real chantel because other people took my name and they weren't real <laughs> that happens um, it does, uh, but otherwise I don't have anything else. And um, thank you, by the way, for doing this. I'm, I'm so thank happy you. that we got that. And you know, maybe we help one person look at themselves differently, or seek help, or go outside and not play so many games. There is nothing wrong with going to therapy if you believe you need it. You go to physical therapy to heal an injury. You go to mental therapy to heal something else that's going on. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. In fact. There's everything right with it. Just get the right kind that works for you. That's what I'm saying. So, okay. Thank you. Chantel Van Santen, you are lovely and amazing. We will cross paths at some point. And thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. Take care.